As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Dental Wealth Nation show, and I'm so excited that you're here today because by the time we finish today, you're going to know what things you should focus on and what matters when you're growing a dental practice. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things you can do. And I'm going to argue you want to pull the levers that are going to have the biggest impact in your practice and really magnify the amount of effort that you put in. You're going to have a new mindset and some tips on what to approach and what to change in your dental practice. But what what I am most excited about for you is by the time we finish, you're going to feel excited and revved up about going back and making the changes in your practice that actually matter, that are going to give you some tangible results. And when it comes to helping you make tangible results in your practice, Dr. Corey Wegner is one of the best. He's the CEO and founder of Coaching for Success. And what uh, Dr. Wagner did is pretty, or Wagner did is pretty special. He's one of the 5% of the highest producing dentists in the country. And what really gets me excited about him is he loves seeing you succeed. In fact, he may get more excited about your success than you do. Corey, welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, I, I am so excited. And I, I couldn't think of a more important topic because uh, there's a lot of levers that, that people can pull in their dental practice when trying to improve things, aren't there? A lot of levers to pull, and a lot of hats to wear. Yeah. And, and so can you share a little bit about, you know, kind of your background and some of the key elements that, that helped transform you so that you could become one of the top 5% of producing dentists in the country? Well, yeah. So, so one of the, the, one of the first things, I mean, this goes way back. I was in eighth grade. So I was in a small town, had a dentist that, uh, you know, was mean and uh, the, the whole facility was a little dirty and he used to have a cigarette going and he would smoke no gloves. <laughs> and if you cried, he yelled at you, you know, this was, this was the kind of thing that horrified people and why nobody ever wanted to go to the dentist. And I did go kicking and screaming. I was not happy. So all of a sudden new gentleman moved into town. His office was light, bright. It was airy. It was very different. And I had had a gap in between my front two teeth, a, a diastema in between eight and nine, as we know it. And I went there and he had said, you know, we have some tooth colored filling material, tooth colored filling material. What is that? Right. This is, this is unheard of. So he decided to do a little bonding and to fill that gap. That was it. I mean, that little thing, it didn't require any shots. It looked fantastic. I had always hated the gap, but never even thought about it or talked to my mom about it because I didn't think there was an answer. This guy was so nice. The staff was so nice. I'm like, Hmm. Here's something I hated so much. And all of a sudden, I don't hate it anymore. I like this. So that was it. I never changed my mind. I went through high school and college. I was going to be a dentist. Now, granted, I was going to be a pro football player first. That just didn't turn out. So 
<laughs> I did play college, but I stayed the course. I did my pre-dental and got to dental school. And that was, that was really that, that one little thing. So I guess part of the lesson in that is you may not think what you do with a patient is of importance or great impact, but I'm here to tell you living proof. All it took was that one little thing, that one little change that was better than what I was used to receiving made all the difference in the world. Not, hmm. only, not only was I hooked on that office and going to this practitioner and everything they did, and I was okay with it. And even as I got older, I was okay to pay them and do whatever because I knew they were good and they cared. Um, but it changed my life in such a different way. And I was just so ready to be a dentist and just so excited because of something that I knew to be so different. So that was, that was kind of where I came from. And there was no dentistry in my family. And everybody said, well, you must come from a dental family. No, I don't. Not, we were all construction, blue collar, uh, you know, plumbers and electricians and carpenters and stuff like that. So I, I kind of broke off into my own thing, knew nothing about it. And it's just what I wanted to do. Hmm. Wow. So, so where does this concept that you talk about, right? Focusing on the things that matter, is that part of how you were able to, to really, you know, succeed and do so well at dentistry was focusing on the right things. And how did you discover the right things to focus on? That's a great question. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm definitely sure, I guess that, that it was not all me. Right. I think after the first year and it really only took that long after the first year, I was fairly gutsy. A lot of my, you know, dental student uh, friends and my classmates went out and became associates with somebody else. It just didn't sound that great to me. Um, the offerings weren't that great. It was really bad hours. It was really low pay. It was, we're not going to let you do any of the big treatments for a while. I mean, half of the places around uh, the greater Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, they literally wanted you to do hygiene as a doctor. It's not why I went to school. Not hmm. why. I went to school. So, I pulled my big boy pants on and I uh, found a headhunter and found a practice of two retiring dentists. And that was it. I, I, I purchased that. And, you know, for me, and part of the reason why I really love the consulting coaching now is it took me a good number of years to make a good number of mistakes to where either the coach and consultant helped reverse those or I learned a very terrible, sometimes expensive lesson. Hmm. I would like to pe have people shorten that learning curve. Yeah. What, what was one of those uh, lessons that was hard to learn? Well, what, <laughs> one, of, one of the things that in, in this, I've got, a, I've got a list of different things we could talk about, but that, that lesson, honestly, is owner doctors need to understand pretty much all facets of their business. I didn't do that. Hmm. I think most dentists understand that dentistry or dental schools don't teach you business. I mean, I, I can't speak for every dental school. I came from Marquette University School of Dentistry. They were wonderful. We were clinically really, really tight on what we learned. However, I don't remember one little class on, on business. I don't remember one class on how to, you know, budget your money and how to, you know, do financial things like with yourself, with a financial advisor, any, any talk about that. There was none of this. I'm, I'm actually shocked. That many people get out, start a practice and, and make it, you know, make it big anyway. So yeah. for me, you don't you don't have to do everything, but you need to understand it. It's because <laughs> one of those one of those things that that came about was when I purchased from two existing doctors, uh, I was stolen from 
from the office manager because mm. I walked into an office with a team that was used to the other guys. They didn't know me. Yeah. And I don't think they really cared. So mm. all of a sudden that happened. And then I got some new people in and I got, I got robbed again. So I wasn't doing any checks and balances. I wasn't looking at the books. I didn't understand the numbers. Hell, I was doing everything I could just to kind of stay afloat clinically. Although, you know, when, when, when you were finally taught that, and I, I was shown how to do some checks and balances and how to look at the numbers and what to be looking at, it's not that hard, but you have to be willing to step in. I know a lot of practitioners, they, they love the dentistry. They don't love the business or they love the business and they don't do the dentistry. Hmm. I think a lot of people are specializing kind of now, either, you know, you're a dentist and you decide to be an owner. And next thing you know, you have 10 practices and you never touch a tooth, but you manage everybody. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Or you are just a clinician and you get a really, really strong office manager that you talk with a lot and trust, but you still have to look at the numbers. Yeah. So there's no way around that. All right. So, so really the, the lesson there is right. Paying attention to the things that go on in your practice. You don't have to do them, but you need to be aware of them and know what things to look at. Well, and the bottom line also in that is if you don't understand how the front office works, how are you gonna train the next receptionist mm. or house manager? And yes, you can have your people train that person, but what if you don't really know if that top person, and I've had it, I've had some very bad top people. So then those lessons and the teaching just go downhill from there because they're they're teaching things that you didn't even know they were teaching and that you didn't want them to know. Right. Yeah. So you have to be part of that. Hmm. Excellent. No, great, great advice. And so you listen to the Dental Wealth Nation show. This is Tim McNeely. We're talking with Dr. Corey Wegner about the little things that you can do in your practice to get some big results. And so, you know, let's dive in and talk about some of those little things that often get overlooked, right? You, you've done this a number of years and, uh, you know, you've, you've been in just a couple dental practices. And so what are some of the little things that you really see that get overlooked that can make a significant difference for the doctors who are listening today? Right. Well, okay. So one of the things I know when you're a doctor owner and you get in and you've got all kinds of things to take care of because you're the lead clinical, you know, practitioner in your practice, you, you kind of overlook, at least I know I did, and I've seen my clients do it too. They overlook their team. Hmm. Sure, they know the hygienist has her job, the assistants have their job, but you kind of like brush over it and you leave them to their devices and you, you know, you don't really get involved too many other things and you just go about your business and hope everything works out well. Well, that's, that's not good enough. I learned that the hard way too. You don't want to be their best friend. But boy, you better be you better be connecting with them. And I think it's a lot different even nowadays. I notice there's much different trends going on than it used to be used to be able to just tell people exactly what you wanted and you'd probably get what you wanted. And if they didn't really love you, they understood you're still the boss. And sometimes you're not the best friend, but you got to say things. But now it's a little tougher because people are very sensitive these days. And, and gosh, if you if you try to reprimand somebody or you know, uh, correct them on something. You better be very careful how you do it. They get so hurt and it's, it, that might be sad and that might be hard to deal with, but you have to deal with it. Right? So if you treat your people more like you want to be treated, you're going to be apt to get more out of them and they will respect you more and they will listen, but you can't be the guy who's just throwing around the stuff and yelling at people and telling them what to do. But 
you don't ever really check in to see how they're doing. One of the best things I ever did was start to go around at the end of the day before I'd leave. And for years, I would just leave. I'd say goodbye in general, but I never like go individually. And then mm -hmm. the last maybe 15, 20 years, I started going around and I started individually. You did such a good job today, right? But I mean, people want to be appreciated. I want to be appreciated, but I never really realized how much they want to be appreciated. The, the team really does. They work hard. I mean, my team worked really hard for me. I loved them. They worked hard. I had some people I had to let go, of course, but the ones who stayed, you got to take care of them. But when I'd ask them, and what can I do for you to make your job better? Hmm. I mean, people are thrown back. They don't even know how to answer that. But wow. when they get comfortable with that and they start, well, you know, if we could do this in the back room, I'm finding that this flow doesn't work. And if this thing was over here, or if we had that machine, whatever, that's a great idea. Let me put that down. Let's talk about that again. And, and you have to actually want to commit to trying to make things better, but you'd be shocked if you can do some little things to make and it, some of it that they come up with is usually not big stuff. It's usually smaller items that they want. Some little thing that's going to make their job to help you, to help the patient better, man, do it. Do everything you can to try to make it happen. You'd be, you'd be shocked how hard or how much harder they'll work for you. I found that. And I found that. I wish I'd have done that in the first 10 years, but it probably took me the last 20 years where I really started doing it, but it made a big difference. Wow. So, so really like, like it's as small and as simple as spending the end of the day, spending a couple minutes and asking your team members, how can I make your job better? How can I make it easier? What can I do to make things better for you? Yeah, but like, like that can okay? have a massive impact. Right. Yeah. Is wow. everything okay? Cause you'll find if you don't try to get the team to open up, and I, I bet you a bunch of doctors are not in their heads right now. If you don't work hard to connect with them and get them to open up, the next time they'll connect with you is when they say, Doc, can I have a moment? Hmm. Can we talk? That's the last thing you want to hear because you know what that means. They just found another job and they're going to quit, but they never told you that they had a problem in the office. They never told you they had a problem with that that other assistant. They never told you that they felt like they were just being overlooked for this or, or not given a raise when they should, whatever. But when you connect with them and really connect with them and you show that you care a little bit, right? And again, up to even, you can reprimand, but you never pick on the person. You bring them in. You never do it in public. You always do it in private and you address the issue. You don't attack personally, right? This sounds so simple and basic, but people do it on accident because they just want to get this done or they're mad and you gotta, you can't go into any one of those little confrontations, if you will, those little meetings mad. You have to be very businesslike. You're the boss. You're, you can't get all worked up about little things. Yeah. Unless it's really heinous. I don't think most of your team really, I don't think they were trying to mess with you or, or make, make something bad and stuff happens, right? And mm -hmm. perfect. So you, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to just, again, you gotta connect. Okay. So, so connecting with your team, what's maybe one or two other little things that, that someone can go back and start doing tomorrow morning to really get some impact in their practice? Okay. Well, one of the, one of the things I found, you know, treatment planning and selling, no selling, gosh, you know, it's always an ugly word. In that That's industry. a dirty word. <laughs> yeah. But, but it isn't, is it? Now, if you or someone, if you're dealing with someone and they come in and they want they want a, a Blu-ray and you're trying to sell them an A-track, okay, that's not good selling, right? You're trying to jam that down their throat and make them buy something they don't need or want. But there is ethical selling. Yeah. And everything we do, I, every position in that dental office is a sales position. 
And it starts from the first phone call. It starts from the receptionist who gets that call or meets that person who comes in, the hygienist who takes them in for their new patient visits. It's all selling. So I, I always had my team read a book called Ethical Selling. I forget who the author is, but it was, it was fantastic. But it showed that if you are trying to solve a problem for someone, that's not bad selling. That's, they came in for a reason, right? So I, I always try to get my docs when I work with them to properly sell. And part of that is when I first got into practice too, I did it wrong. I jammed my treatment plans down their throat. I knew what they needed and I told them so. And they needed to do this, 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 and this. Funny thing is they almost all did the stuff, but they weren't referring anybody. And we didn't figure this out for, for a good year or so. And like, why is nobody referring? Well, finally, we, we kind of got it. One of the consultants helped me. Actually, one of my team members even, even got to me and, and said, you know, we're telling them what to do, but we're not mm. actually, we're not educating and we're not really discussing. So when I really turned that around and one of my consultants really helped me with this was we learned how to discuss the treatment. We learned how to involve the patient. I mean, we'd always used an intraoral camera, but now instead of just saying, see, this is what you need, we asked questions. Asking questions is one of the best ways to get a patient to say yes to treatment. Hmm. Because when I put up you know, times 32 on a big TV screen, a big giant tooth of the crack across the silver filling, can't just tell them it's there. I don't even know if they're looking. Mm-hmm. And I've had people do this before. Yes, 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 yes. Doctor, I get it. Okay, perfect. Go up to the front desk and everything I said somehow gets sucked up into the upper air vents and they talk to the financial coordinator and they don't even know what they're talking about. Well, he didn't seem to say anything was, well, I, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean I need three crowns? Well, when you ask a patient, do you see that crack, right? You have to wait. You have to get them to answer. If they don't see it, then you did something wrong then it's on you. It's not on them. And you know, back in the day, right, we had everybody look at their teeth on a little tiny x-ray. Well, nobody could see anything. It was horrible selling. I mean, people did it if they trusted you. But for, for the most part, I remember my my own mom and dad, I, I don't know that they ever really knew why they did the dentistry they did. And sometimes when I heard about what they did, I'm not sure why they did it. Uh, but you know, nowadays we have the technology, we can show people, we have the intraoral cameras, we have all kinds of technology to show people, but you still, you still need to be interactive with that patient. And when we ask them, do you see it? Would you like to avoid the next step? Because when we go past this crack filling, you're going to go into a root canal if it gets down. So if we do a crown, I can head off that root canal. Would you like to avoid that? Yeah. Yes, I would. That would be great. Okay. So again, if we take this giant filling and take that out, clean it, put in some filler material and then shape around and give you a nice all porcelain crown, that would do it. So is that what you, you agree? That's what you want to do. Yeah. Let's do that. Mm. Gosh, it changed my world. It, it was the weirdest thing. And it was again, such a simple thing. Ask, don't tell changed everything. Mm. It well, was right. crazy. Yeah. And even listening to you tell those stories, right? It's a, it's a reminder for me because I, I think so often we forget that, that selling is actually something good because if you have products, if you have services, if you have things that are going to make an impact yeah. on someone's life, 
I would actually argue you have a moral and ethical obligation to sell as much of that thing as possible. And to not do that is actually not to serve your market. And it's to harm your market by not changing lives. And I think so often we forget that because somehow we think that that selling and providing these services is somehow bad. And, And I love that just whole concept of asking, asking, asking. Such a powerful reminder, Corey. Love that. Thank you. Well, and to go along with that, then let's let's segue into the next little part of that. So the other part of that is not only do you ask, but you need to listen, hmm. right? So what did I, you say? <laughs> yeah, I have seen this so many times where a patient would come in and the dentist would sit down and go through there. And I'm not telling you that any one of these dentists I've worked with was wrong. They saw what they saw they saw treatment that was needed. But did you ask the patient what they thought they needed? Mm. Right? So this is a huge point, especially when we get new patients in. You've got to create the relationship. Relationships is everything in dentistry, right? I mean, because this is, you know, the mouth being the most intimate area, you've got to create a little trust with those people. How do you get trust when you just jam treatment down their throat and say, you come in next week and we're going to do all this? Well, I just met you. Number one, you got to talk a little bit, right? So when I teach everyone and the way I learned it too was, what are your major issues, if any? Do you know of anything that's going on? I mean, not only did we have a, a, a bunch of things, bunch of questions on a on a treatment sheet when you came in an input sheet, but, you know, just to ask them and find out what it is. And then from there, Hmm. don't start still loading up the treatment plan of the 18 things you found. Why don't you just address the one thing they knew they had? I've got a little hole in the back. Raspberry seeds get caught here all the time. Oh, actually I can take care of that with a little tooth colored filling. Guess what? The one thing I learned too is don't put that treatment with a bunch of other big stuff and then try to get it all at once. I'm just going to have that person in for that one little filling because when I start with the small thing, before I ramp up into the bigger things, I've created trust on something so easy that I know is going to be successful. Cause <laughs> you can always tell me that a really deep old filling, when you take it out and you clean it, even though you're not on the nerve, you can't always tell me that that patient's going to have a hundred percent, you know, satisfaction yeah. right from the beginning. Typically yep. they'll heal and feel better but they just met you for the first week. If it's sore and this and that, that doesn't create a great response right away. Pick the easiest things, pick the things they know hmm. and, and go from there. I'm telling you, that was a winner too. That was, that wow. was huge for us. Oh my gosh. That, that's massive. It was reverse of whatever I did before. When I was young, I thought, you know, I was told always get the big crowns, always get the root canals and things, especially get it in the back teeth because Once you fix the front and it looks good, they'll never come back for the back. Well, that was old dental school training. It's completely wrong, completely Hmm. wrong. Do what they want. It's their money. It's their mouth. Wow. Very, very powerful. So, so how do we tie this concept in, right? We've been talking about the little things in dentistry that you can do to have that big impact. We've talked about team. We've talked about, you know, how do you quote unquote sell dentistry, right? How do you do that ethically and talked about asking the right questions and, and, and really guiding the patients along, but but there's also some dentistry that makes more money than others. And so how do you start tying this together with the procedures or practices at that are most profitable in your office and doing that in an ethical way? Yeah, that's a great question too. So, you know, um, I always make this uh, analogy that, you know, you walk into one of those, you know, big family restaurants, right? 
and you open up the menu and it's a page of all this food, another page of all the food, you flip it over, there's 30 items and 40 items, you flip it over, there's 50 items and 30 items, you flip it, oh my gosh, how in the hell can you make any of that food really, really delicious? Because there's 180 things on the menu. I'm sorry, that's just, that's overkill. I think dentistry is a little bit like that. I mean, there's, um, if you look at the procedural sheets and the ADA codes, there's a ton of them. Are we all going to do all those things? No. And, and if you try to do all those things, can you really afford the overhead of saving all of those pieces and parts and materials? I'm going to tell you probably not. Find out what you like, which is, which is probably the toughest part, right? Some guys, I gravitated towards root canals. I loved them, but I had a couple of associates who hated them. So I'll take them. And here's some things I don't like. I'll give you. So within that scope, that works. Other things like a second molar root canal, they're very difficult for a lot of people. The access is not easy. It's hard to see. There are specialists, ended on us, that that's all they do. Sometimes they do it a lot faster. And my thing is speed is everything, right? In dentistry, speed's, uh, speed is, oh, is, yeah. is make or break. And dentistry is a hustle business. It is. You have to be willing to hustle. I'm sorry. The overheads are high. You know, you don't make as much from insurance nowadays and they cut that down and there's PPOs and things. So you, you've got to move. But what happens when you take a, you know, $2,000 upper second molar root canal that really should have taken 30 to 40 minutes, maybe an hour, and that patient's in the chair for three hours? Did you do any favor for yourself? No. Did you do any favor for the patient? Absolutely not. So why not stick to the things you're really good at and what hmm. you like? Maybe it's, maybe it's tooth colored fillings. Maybe it's cosmetics. I, I love cosmetics. I, I did a lot of smile makeovers. That was huge for me. I got good at it. I trained at it because I loved it. Don't we all seem to be better at the things we like, right? So what if I dread, and I hear this from some practitioners too, I hate doing dentures. Then don't do them. Because, you know, but well, the patient says, but, but I want you to do it, but I don't do them. Is, is that wrong? Is it? I, listen, I, I know a lot of people out there, men and women, dentists, uh, who decided to you know do little little niche specialties kind of thing. All we do is implants here. I mean, these are general dentists. They're not moral surgeons. They just yeah. decided they love implants so much. That's all they do. There are guys, and you know, there's a lot of people out there, guys and gals, who all they want to do is cosmetics. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Because the thing is, if you really like what you're doing and you niche it a little bit, you're going to be the go-to person. That word's going to get around because it's really, really tough. And there's nothing wrong with it either. If you love it all and you're good at it, but it gets really tough to be everybody's everything, right? Hmm. Jack of all trades, master of none, right? Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah, so, so true. The other part about that is what I found uh, just financially successful is when you aren't doing every little treatment in the world, you don't need every little piece of equipment. You don't need every supply mm. in the world. Well, talk about mainstreaming things. Wow. Um, one, of, one of the things, even in even the simple things, even if you are going to do a lot of things, I think everybody understands in dentistry that there are little burr kits. They're little drill bits. Okay. And they come in these, they come in these little kits, and there might mm -hmm. be, you know, like 18 of them sitting in this kit. Well, this one's for this particular filling and this one's for this filling. And this one's, if you do a crown this way, but this is to prepare the crown, this is to, oh my gosh, 
I was so sick of that and all the reps coming in trying to sell me all this stuff. And we didn't know where this bird was and then you're holding on to all this inventory and you couldn't keep track of it. So I pulled everything down to eight burrs. I realized that there were eight burrs in the world that I could fit in there that hmm. would prepare a crown, do a filling, polish everything, fillings and edges of porcelain, whatever. And, and I found that these eight did everything. Do you know how simple that was for my team to reorder? and always make sure that stuff stayed. Sure, could I flip one out here and there because a new thing came along? Yeah, but now I only have to look at those eight and certain things to replace. But yeah. you can't keep adding stuff because it just gets, it's just overload and it's mind-blowing the options you have. And then you get this, you know, uh, paralysis by analysis kind of thing. All you're trying to do always is figure out which, which thing should I use here? And it's just too much. Hmm. So. Wow. Well, yeah, it, I and do you think that overload of having to focus on so many things and do so many things, does that ever factor into to doctors experiencing burnout in their practice at all? I, I think it, I think it does. I think it does because you, you know, the minute you catch up on one of the avenues, like you get really good at implants or really good at cosmetics, but you're trying to do everything. Then you realize, oh wait, the parameters for periodontal, you know, surgeries and issues just changed. And now I got to go to a bunch of seminars for that because I don't know what's going on there. And, and, and it can be, it can be just a, a, a lot. And again, hmm. not your fault. But if you're trying to be everybody's everything in every facet of dentistry, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know how great you're going to get at all those things. It, it hmm. just, it's just, it's easier to reproduce fewer things over and over again. And you get really, really good at those. Wow. I, that, that's so brilliant. I, I love that concept of just working on the things you love yeah. and that's going to streamline your practice. It's going to well, make things the easier. Love part, the love part's important yeah. too, right? Because when you hear dentists talk about what they don't like or that they are getting burned out, where does mm -hmm. it usually come from? Usually it comes from either, either like certain patients that they can't handle. Well, where do those certain patients come from? Right. And, and, and it tends to be in those individual practices different for all of us. It tends to be because of the procedures you did, like you're doing dentures, but you don't like dentures. And there's a gal who brought in a bag of eight dentures and she wants you to do a new one because none of these eight doctors got it right. Really? They didn't get it right. All eight. Guess what? You're going to be number nine. You're going to be in that bag, too. Because this person you can't make happy. So when you take that stuff and you already hated doing dentures, what would change in your world if you just did the procedures that you were good at and you liked? Again, now, can you just do fillings for the rest of you? You do nothing else? Okay, you got you to broaden a little bit. But there are some real just good basics that get you pretty far. And they're specialists to do other things if you don't want to. Or an associate. And I really grilled my associates. What things do you like? Well, heck, I found I found somebody who loved the oral surgery and who take out thirds when I'm like, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go for an impacted, but if you've trained it and you like it, awesome. We can we can refer within our own office. Really powerful. Wow. No, I, I love that. And, and Corey, you're just sharing some amazing little tips, right? These are simple things that you yeah, can little, go back. Simple. And they're going to have a big impact on the practice. And so, you know, uh, you know, coming up to the end, and I know you've got something special to share with us here at the end. And so if you hang around a little bit longer, 
Uh, Corey's going to share something with you that I know you're going to want to hear. But I want to talk briefly about your role and your practice. And when you exited, you were actually um, invited to stay on as the chief clinical officer for 120 office DSO. That's correct, yes. right? I was. That's right. A lot of, a lot of board meetings, a lot of interviews. And uh, they finally picked me and, and wanted me to run uh, 200 plus odd doctors out of 120 offices. And it was quite an honor. Wow. I did, not, I did not take it. Yeah. But it was quite an honor. Well, I, I, and I want to talk about this because I think it's important for a lot of doctors today because they may be considering going to work for a DSO because they want to offload some of these things because they don't want to be in charge of the business side. They just want to do the dentistry. And so they they look at this and, and you declined this offer. You're right. You were chosen for it, but you didn't move forward with it. Why was that? Okay. So very hot topic. I have an yeah. awful lot of dentists coming to me these days asking me about this because when you get nearer retirement, even if you're not there, and it's better to think about it ahead of time, right? This is like whether you financial planning, right? You don't mm -hmm. wait till the end to think oh, about yeah. that. You do it all the way along. So when you're getting within, I would say, gosh, 10 to 20 years, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to wait till the last five. And I really absolutely would tell people not to wait. So I went down that road because I was hearing of these multiples that were huge. I probably missed the really giant multiples by about a year. By the time I went through all the, you know, again, the interviews and the, the talks and the meetings with, with two different DSOs that were actually competing for my practices, um, I wasn't really interested. First and foremost, like many private practitioners, I wanted to leave my practice is in the hands of my associates. I wanted to maintain that mom and pop private status. However, I talked to my associates and they were not interested. I had built my practices pretty darn big and it would have been a pretty big ticket for them to even buy together for the three or four of them. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't going to happen. Once I realized that, oh heck, who am I going to go to? Well, it's probably going to be the DSOs, right? So they came calling. I did my due diligence, went through everything and they were offering some pretty good money. So the interesting thing about that is, and this is getting to the point of why I didn't take the chief clinical officer. When I got in, there is something just very freeing about doing your dentistry and having nothing else to handle. I had no more calls to take during patient hours from accountants and my marketing people and to the assistants are fighting in the room and I got to go, you know, stop that and, and referee. And then there's, oh my gosh, it was just, you know, it was nonstop. My personal production, even after, and I was already, so they told me top 5% of the country, whatever that means. I, you know, was, I was fast and I made, made a lot of uh, money. We did a lot of treatment. We helped a lot of people. My production went up by 19 and a half percent the first year. Crazy. Wow. I didn't even know wow. I could get faster to be quite honest, but I didn't have all this other extraneous things to deal with. Mm -hmm. They were over with. It was just me and the patient and that relationship and my work. Boom, 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 boom. I could just do it all day. It was fun. Really fun. Now, there are some pitfalls. And in, in this, I talk, again, I talk with a lot of dentists about this. I'm not saying going to a DSO is bad. I am not unhappy initially when I sold to them. The people I sold to were fantastic. They took care of me. The owner was great. These people in the, in the C-suite were great. Everybody treated me wonderfully. And then they resold mm -hmm. private equity people who had no real clue about how to control, deliver, manage quality dental practices. Things got a little ugly. 
not only with me, but all kinds of other offices within our company that I had talked to different practitioners. And it was a real shame. It was a real shame. Yeah. I have since learned how to avoid in the contract, some of those pitfalls. But when they finally came to me and I thought it was such an honor to go ahead and be their chief clinical officer, unfortunately, I got lowballed for about half of what I was making. But if hmm. you would have seen my list of duties and responsibilities, it was probably about three times the work that I was actually doing in my own office. So I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Wow. I'm gonna do all this work and I'm gonna go from a pretty cushy, mm. you know, 20 to 30 hour work week and I'm gonna be working about 40, 50, 60 hours a week to manage all these things and lots of, lots of meetings, lots of things to go to, which I didn't mind, but you're gonna give me this much? Oh, no, that just, that just didn't work for me. So, hmm. yeah. That's how it went. Okay. Interesting. So what advice would you have to a doctor who's maybe considering or looking at these things? What are the most important things they should think through, right? If you're coaching someone through this, like that choice of, you know, should I join a DSO? Shouldn't like, like, what are the questions that they should be thinking through? Yeah. there, and, and this is the one thing I don't know that anybody can, can actually promise you is you need to talk to some of their doctors that are current mm. with them. That's important. I, I did with one doctor. And again, at the time, everything was great. And in the beginning, it was great. But you need to talk to some doctors anyway. You need to do your due diligence and find out how do the other people who are in this company now, how do they feel? You have to try to get a, a feeling of whether or not these, these corporate people running this will leave you to your own autonomy within your practice. You still should be able to run your practice fairly similar to what you did. Now, they'll take over the business part of it and it shouldn't be a really big you know, diversion away from where you were, but especially clinically, that really shouldn't change. You shouldn't have uh, business people starting to crack the whip on you and telling you how you have to produce and how fast you have to produce. That's a no-go, no right? That doesn't work. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing is you are going to read some contracts. You need a lawyer. I had a lawyer. My lawyer didn't do a very good job. My financial guy at the time didn't do a very good job. Mm -hmm. There was some really crazy wording in there. And here's the thing. If you, doctor, don't understand that wording, right away, that's a red flag, right? It shouldn't be so convoluted and crazy like our tax codes and things like that, that you can't understand it. Now, I understand some of the legalese and legal mumbo jumbo kind of things get in there, but when the numbers and they're, they're, they all do these things um, of goals that you need to hit and the parameters will pay you X this year, but the next, next year and you need to produce whatever, you really better look at that. Uh, it's crazy. I now know what to look at. I can help people with that, but we also need mm. uh, attorneys who will really go through that. And if it doesn't seem right, once you're really done looking, it's not right. Wow. Period. And you need to negotiate it. You need to be able to walk away. Mm -hmm. so you may like this DSO, but if it doesn't make sense, yeah, then don't do it. So, wow. No, hey, we've been talking about such amazing things, Corey, and you've been just sharing so much amazing, simple little things that doctors can go back and, and implement in their practice right away. Now, you, you mentioned something early about the interoral camera, and I want to come back to this because I know you lecture a lot on interoral cameras and the importance of that. And, and we're kind of going off in a little direction, but I wanted to touch on this before we, we wrap up. Why do you love the intraoral camera so much? 
I, I love it. I think it's the greatest teaching tool we've ever come up with in dentistry. Again, back in the day, we were showing those little tiny x-rays and say, hey, do you see this little black triangle? That's a cavity. People go, yeah, sure. But they didn't see anything. I mean, they were just, they're either lying because they don't want to look stupid or they just, you know, just want to get it over with. But the camera, again, teaching and educating is, is all about, you know, hmm. show and tell, right? We are way more visual than we are good listeners. Most of us are not good listeners. You know, you hear things, but if you're nervous and people are already nervous at the dentist, I don't know how much they actually hear. Like I said, I'd give a full treatment plan. They'd go to the treatment coordinator and they didn't even think they had anything to do. And I probably said that they had 18 things to do. So again, don't overload them, but that camera shows everything in detail and you can point and you can ask mm. and you can make sure that they, the patient, you have to hold them accountable a little bit. Do you see this? Do you understand why this is an issue? And don't sit and talk right away. You have to ask and wait for answers. But I'll tell you that dialogue, the camera starts it because it's right there. You can't hide it. And again, to me, if you can't show the crack or you can't show the space or you can't show the cavity in there, then you shouldn't be recommending the treatment. Wow. Right? You need to show it. Now, wow. it's not even just that. Sometimes you have to uh, combine it with an x-ray. But even now we have the digital x-rays. You pop that up on a TV. Now it's in a big TV screen. It's not this tiny little film that you use yeah. to take. So we have to be able to show, show and tell, show and ask even better, right? Wow, amazing. So, I mean, the, the intraoral camera has really changed the way that, that people practice dentistry, hasn't it? It has. I, I, I can't, the two things I can't understand how anybody could practice without anymore is intraoral camera, number one, and number two, the, the magnifiers, the loops. Yeah. Because when you see times four and you're sitting upright, number one, right, that's another big thing, right? We should try to sit as ergonomic and upright as we can. That doesn't always happen because some patients just don't have the same, you know, physical attributes that they can't lay all the way down. Maybe they feel mm -hmm. like they're, you got to put them up. So you have to get in there more. Um, but those loops, when you see magnification, but then you take them off, ugh, it's a little scary to realize what you didn't see. So if you don't have that magnification putting you right up on top of that, how hmm. good is your treatment really? Even with the best eyes, I, I had great eyes for you. Only in the last year or two do I need readers. And it's just for reading because I got notes in front of me. Otherwise, I don't need them. I, my yeah. outside vision is great. But when you do that in dentistry and you're working on a very small little part, a little tooth, a little cavity in there, you should be able to hone in on that with really good magnification. I hmm. just, I can't believe that you're doing your best work if you don't have magnification. Wow. No, so, so powerful. And right. Once again, it's, it's show and ask, right? You can actually yes. show the patients what's going on. And, yeah. and as we kind of come to a close here, right, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the role of coaching and, and why use a coach? Why does it matter? Um, you know, Dennis, they're always getting bombarded with, you know, hire this coach or hire that marketing company and everything will get better. Like, like what's the role of a coach in a practice? How do you view the role of a coach? Well, and again, for me, coaching was something I got into, uh, not just, uh, because I absolutely wanted to, but I had after 30 years, uh, I had some really bad vertebrae in my neck. And one day after a four hour cosmetic procedure, I got up from the chair and I got zinged in the neck and it never got better. It got worse and worse every day for about eight weeks till I finally went back to my doctor and he said, listen, 
you were surgical four years ago, but you needed to believe it. And now your C4 through seven is ruined and you have to have a fusion and you are not going back because when dentists sit themselves at 45 degrees, he said that 10 pound head turns into about 49 pounds. And he said, if you don't believe it, hold the bowling ball out in front of you. So we do a lot of damage. So, you know, I had had consultants pretty much at least 27 of my 30 years, even up to the very end. Dentists are fantastic at what they do. Dentistry, one thing, dentistry, it's what they know. But what about what we talk, what about the marketing and the accounting and, you know, even learning how to schedule, how, learning how to run the computer in the front office, learning how to bill. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, it just, it gets bigger and bigger and there's maintenance issues. There's all these things. There's a lot of hats to wear and, and we're not taught any of them. So now you're just thrown in it and, and, and you know, it's, it's like the story of somebody's grandpa. Yeah. My grandpa took me out in the boat and he threw me in the pond and I had to swim to shore. Well, that works great. Maybe, but what if it doesn't, right? I mean, that's really what we're doing. We're being thrown from a boat and being made to swim. But hmm. what if you had a coach or consultant? What if you had somebody who's been there and done that? And that's why I feel like this was the natural progression for me. My next chapter, because I have done this, I've seen this, I've worked through a lot of these problems. My coaches, I, I couldn't be more grateful for what they did for me in my practice. I would have never, I would have never been in that top 5%. I would have never had the practices that, that I had. And in, in the, I mean, gosh, we did so much dentistry, but they taught me systems. They taught me efficiencies. They taught me all kinds of things. And they taught me again, those business practices, like I said, to understand all those facets of your business, you don't have to hundred percent dig down deep into every one of them. Again, it might be overlooked, but you darn well better understand how they all work, why they work and what needs to happen in there so that if something goes wrong, you'd see it because hmm. things go wrong. You change employees, things happen. Now you've got new employees. How did they get trained? Sure. You could call one of the training companies come in there, but what if they're not exactly training the way you want to do it? Right? So uh, coaches and consultants in dentistry, because of all those many hats, they will be they will be your liaison through that. And, and the other thing is a lot of dentists are, are solo practitioners. They don't have anybody to bounce stuff off of. They don't have anyone to talk to. You don't want to go home and, and chat with your spouse all night about your dental woes. I mean, that's that's not what you, you got to leave the office and leave that back at the office, right? Mm. You can't do that all the time. But what if you had a partner that wasn't a partner that you had to share the wealth within the practice, right? What if you had something that somebody actually cared to help you through these problems and have two sets of eyes on these, right? Two heads better than one. Yeah. Helped me, helped me tremendously, man. So that's why I'm excited to do it. I, I, I think it's fun. Hmm. I love the business side. Yeah, no, and I can tell your passion coming through, right? I just, I love your excitement about it. I love watching you get get lit up because it is so powerful. And so for a doctor who may be thinking about, you know, getting a coach or working with a coach, yeah. how do you start asking questions? Like, how do you find a coach who's right for you? That that would be the tough part, right? But you need to talk to them. Like, so for me, if anyone goes to coachingforsuccess.com, which is my business, I've got a link that you would book a call with me for like 20 to 30 minutes. It's absolutely free, absolutely complimentary where all we're going to do is sit and talk. I'm going to do what I would do with pay. I'm going to ask questions. I need to know where you're at, what you think is the problem. I need to ask a lot of other questions that maybe I can find that there's some other issues that you don't know about. And then we have to see if we're a fit, right? That's a big thing. 
I'm not here to tell you that I'm everybody's cup of tea. I'm not here to tell you that I can help absolutely everybody. I can help a lot of people, but we should talk about that first. And way too many people out there, consultants, they really don't, they don't really give you that. And it's just, you know, you either take them or you don't, or they're a little arrogant. Well, I've done this so long. I don't need to explain myself. Well, you kind of do. Um, I don't know. And, and the other thing I have a little bit, I'm not saying they're bad because there's a lot of good ones out there that way, but would you rather have somebody who's just your consultant coach who never did what you did? Right. I mean, I'm not sure I'd be the best consultant for somebody who's, uh, you know, um, in, in, I'm just trying to think of, of something who, who runs, who runs uh, little grocery stores. I never ran a grocery store. Yeah. I don't know, but I did run dental practices. So some people just come from the business side and they consult and they coach this and that. That's fine. I'm not sure they're bad at it, this and that, but I think where the rubber meets the road is having somebody else who did and lived what you're doing, because yeah. I can absolutely understand. I've absolutely been there and I know how to fix some of those things. Mm -hmm. A lot of things. Yeah, and, and I would agree. I think that the the industry specific makes such a big difference. So I'm part of several mastermind groups, several coaching companies, and I, I spend a fair amount of my budget on coaching. And most of them are very industry specific yeah. because I learn a lot from my peers. Right when you're right. with your peers, people who are in the trenches, yeah. you learn stuff that that a general business coach who's super valuable. Right, the the life coaching, the mindset, like all that's really important. Yeah. But sometimes you need the nitty gritty of like, how do I deal with that angry patient? Or like, how do I increase communication with my team? Like, right. How do I do those things? And that industry specific is so important. So, so I'm in agreement with you there. And that's, and that's exactly what we do. We just go down piece by piece and all the little subjects that you want to address. We talk yeah. about those things and then see, you know, if we want to work on those together and then, yeah. and then go from there. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty nice program and, and we've had some great successes. Yeah. Well, I, and for those who have hung around for the end, you have something special for everyone, don't you? And I've put a, a link below so they can find you. But but what is it that you're willing to do for everyone listening today? I am willing to take $800 off of our, of our coaching blueprint program that we started. It's typically a six to eight week program to start. You can go month to month after that. So the costs come, come down quite a bit. But $800 off the initial for anybody who has seen in uh, this episode in the first four weeks after this airs. I'd be happy to just, just, again, book a call. Let's talk first. Again, there's no obligation. Let's talk and see if uh, I'm a fit that I can help you and we can go from there. Oh my gosh. What a generous offer. Thank you. I, I, I hope people take advantage of that and, and you should take advantage of it. And you know, you mentioned that fit part. I actually want to ask an interesting question. Yeah. Who's the wrong kind of person to talk to you? Uh, somebody who thinks they know everything, you know, and, and listen, Listen, no offense to anybody, but I've seen this a million times, right? I was a CE junkie. I went around the country. I learned from the best of the best. I flew all around to find out what I could do better, both in business and, and in clinical skills. But I would meet these people, talk to them at lunch, talk to them afterwards and, and network a little bit. And I heard it so many times. Well, that's never going to work. Well, well, you just sat through this thing for two full days. You flew across the country. You're not going to try this. This guy's successful with this. This gal does that with this and she's killing. I mean, you're not, you're here because you're not killing it. So why wouldn't you try something, right? That whole thing, insanity, trying to do the same thing over and getting a different result doesn't work, right? Yep. Why wouldn't you try? But a lot of dentists pretend to be open and they're not open. 
I will not work with a client who thinks they know everything and who want to argue that this doesn't work and that doesn't work. And, okay. Because if you don't think so, it won't, it won't work. Right. You're right. Yeah. Right. Uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> that is true. Very true. And, uh, yeah. It reminds me of a, a funny story. Years ago, my parents had this little mountain log cabin and this was when Airbnb was first coming out. And I said, Hey mom, Hey dad, let's put this thing on Airbnb and see what happens. My mother says, that will never work. No one's ever going to rent the cabin, right? Because Airbnb was new. People didn't have this concept. She's like, it's not, we ended up being one of the most popular properties in the entire area. And we still are. And right. Of course it wouldn't work until you do it, right? Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And so I think that's also the value that you as a coach can bring is you can show people what's possible. I know that's what I try to do with my clients is, is really yeah. encourage them and, and help them dream bigger than they've ever thought and then support them more than they've ever been supported. That goes along with one of my favorite business sayings that I, I use all the time. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm. You can answer that. You're on your way because there's so many things that people think about or would like to do. And then they go, Oh, you know, I don't, well, what if you weren't afraid? What, yeah. what about the, what about the, you know, the Airbnb? What if you tried it and yours worked? I mean, yeah. right. There's a lot of things out there. What if I tried a new system of fillings or a new system due to root canals? What if I tried to build patients in a different way or whatever? If it doesn't work, you can always go back. Yeah. Right? So what, true. What's wrong with trying? What if it works? Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, well, hey, thank you again, Corey, for sharing so generously, right? Coachingforsuccess.com. We've put the link down below. You can find it in the chat. And any closing thoughts before we sign off here? Oh, man, uh, closing thoughts. You know, dentistry is a great profession, but it isn't easy, right? And everybody knows it. It's, it's wonderful, but there are ways to make it better, not only for you, but for your team and for your patients. And if I can help in any way, I would, I would be super excited to, to help do that. Wow. Well, hey, thank you again. I, I know I certainly know what some of the little things to focus on and even thinking through my business, right? I want to focus on the things that matter. So thank you for helping to get focused. I know I have new insights and mindsets and tips, and I certainly feel excited and revved up. And I know if you've listened to this, you certainly have too. So until next time, we'll see you again here soon on the Dental Wealth Nation show. Thank you again, Corey. Thank you. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at DentalWealthNation.com. 